Hi. Good evening. Some couple of new faces, huh? Ah. Okay. Um, the last time when we ended, the plan was actually to just end the sutta discussion and that's it. But since I'm here for a while, I thought maybe we can start again, uh, do a few more suttas. This particular one that I've chosen um, is from the Samyutta Nikaya. And Samyutta Nikaya has got, in my opinion, some very, very good suttas, especially under the chapter Nidana, which is chapter 12. So this is a section within uh, Nidana. So 63.3, Sun's Flesh. I wanted a sutta that shows a couple of things, shows a few things. One, how the Buddha was able to use imageries to make a very deep impression with the practitioners of his time. These suttas were given, were delivered to practitioners. We know that because here, right staring at you, third word in the sutta says bhikkhu. So these were practitioners. And he was trying to explain to them the nature of the mind and how the mind interacts with conditions. How your mind interacts with condition. And they are not easy to explain. So the Buddha had to use very stark imagery to drive the point home. Okay? Now what I'm going to do this evening is I'm going to explain the first imagery. And after I've explained it, I'm going to invite you all to sit in small groups and share your own observation with regards the other imageries. You can pick one and just share. And then, after that, we can have a discussion. We can have a discussion and deepen our appreciation of the sutta. Okay? Now, if you look at the board, it says, at Savati, because, Buddha said, eh, because there are these four kinds of nutriment for the maintenance of beings that have already come to be and for the ass assistance of those about to come to be. Meaning to say that there are certain conditions necessary that keep people, beings, living beings alive. And when you die, the same conditions will bring back another existence. Okay? And consistently, the Buddha will point out there are four. The first one, food. Doesn't matter gross, subtle, whatever. That's just all different types of food. Okay? The first one is food. 
The second one, contact. Third, mental volition. Fourth, consciousness. Now, if you were to just take the first one eh, on food, if you were to just reflect on your own existence, denying your form of food, you know time will start to run out. When depends on how strong you were when the deprivation starts. But at some point, the entire physical machinery will break down. The other three are to sustain the mind. Denied of the other three um, nutriment, the mind will die. But it doesn't mean the mind will stay dead. <laughs> Your mind will die, la, but there will be another arising because the clinging to these nutrients have not dissipated. Under normal circumstances, it hasn't dissipated, you come again. Okay? So let's start with nutriment food. How because should the nutriment edible food be seen? Now, understand that this is not this particular sutta, Buddha was not explaining how nutriment keeps you alive. This is not his objective. That's done elsewhere. In this particular sutta, the Buddha was trying to explain how as a practitioner you are to handle that particular nutriment. You have to have that nutriment. If you don't have that nutriment, you will perish. The form will die, for instance. Let's just start with food. Without food, the form will die. So you have to have food. But for a practitioner, if you indulge in food, then that food is not just something that sustains your form, it is something that will sustain your mind. It keeps you going. It keeps your mind going. And when you die thinking of your chakwetiao, you will come again. You understand what I'm saying? So practitioner has to strike a balance. A balance between continuing to have that condition, that nutriment. You will have to have it in order to stay alive. So continuing to have that nutriment while not while maintaining a certain distance so that you don't get trapped by the nutriment and you go on a becoming spiral. You understand what I'm saying? These nutriments keep you going. If you do not know how to handle it as a practitioner, not as a layperson, huh? just a practitioner. You can be a practicing layperson, but it's a practitioner. If you're a practitioner, you need to know how to handle these nutriments so that they keep you alive, but they don't keep you going indefinitely. That's the point. So Buddha tried to teach his disciples how to strike that balance. The balance between continuing to consume it because you cannot do without or you will die, but not get caught up such that they become a spiral that keeps you going indefinitely.
Do you understand? That balance. Okay? So, let's talk about food and then you, you begin to understand what I'm saying. How cool should the nutriment edible food be seen? In other words, how should you look at food? How should, when you look at the food that you're going to eat, what is the attitude you must adopt when dealing with food? Okay? And the imagery. How many of you have gone through the imagery and got disturbed? It is quite disturbing, isn't it? It's meant to be. It's supposed to smack you between the, the face <laughs> or the head, between the eyes. Okay. You are a couple. You had provision. You were traveling through a desert. And you have with you your only son, dear and beloved. Okay, Buddha, just to make sure you feel it, your only son, dear and beloved. In the middle of the desert, you used up all your provisions. So you know you're going to die. They started thinking and they said, why don't we kill our only son? Prepare dry spiced meat. By eating his flesh, you can cross the rest of the desert. Let not all three perish. What is the point here? We be pragmatic. We be pragmatic. Let's try and survive this. We will eat him. Okay? Then, because they kill their son, they prepare dried and spiced meat. They even spiced it, add flavor, make it more palatable. Okay? And by eating their flesh, his, his flesh, they crossed the rest of the desert. But while they were eating, they beat. They would beat their breasts and cry, Where are you, our beloved, our, our only son? Where are you, our only son? That's not the punchline. The punchline is this one. What do you think? Would they eat that food for amusement or for enjoyment or for the sake of physical beauty and attractiveness? The point here is, if you are eating something as repulsive as the flesh of someone you love, you can't bring yourself to enjoy it no matter how. Right? No matter how. You are only doing it for survival. And that's the point. When you eat food, a practitioner tries to eat it from the perspective that I have to, to keep this form alive, but this is not enjoyment, this is not fun, this is not something I must grow attached to. You can't be attached to the meat of your child. Wow, how many child you need, man? <laughs> you can't. So here, it is to drum it into the mind of the practitioner. That when you eat, you have to perceive the food as nothing more than something to sustain you. You eat without tasting. 
you only focus on the chewing, the mechanism of chewing, and the swallowing. That's it. So by thinking that this is the meat of your child, you won't enjoy it. You won't be focused on the object. You will be focused on the mechanics, the mechanism of eating, consumption. And are you thinking too much? The, the fact is we instinctively get drawn to objects in order that your mind can preserve a distance between you and the object that you're eating, the only way you can do it is you can tell yourself, I'm going to eat it like it is the meat of my child. Or you can do it a bit, if you have no child, you can do whatever you want. But the point is, you have to remind yourself, I'm not going to enjoy this. I'm just going to eat, chew, 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 chew and swallow. And I'm doing this because the form has to be fed in order that I can live on and practice. So that was the instruction he gave them. And then in the way that we eat our food, if you can remember, then try lah. If you can remember. Not try thinking of your your family members, just eat it and be mindful of the chewing and be mindful of the swallowing. Rather than be caught up with the taste of the food. Because the instinct is to be caught up with the taste, not the mechanics of chewing. And therefore you see the next one. Eh? Wouldn't they eat only for the sake of crossing the desert? In other words, eat because of survival. Yes. It is in such a way that I say the nutriment edible food should be seen. This is how you should look at food. Food, and what is the benefit of being able to achieve that? If you can fully understand this chewing and swallowing, eh? if you can fully understand this nutriment food, the last for the five chords of sensual pleasure is fully understood. In other words, if you can overcome your instinctive delight to enjoy food and get caught up by food and the taste, if you can overcome that habit, you will then start to notice that your attachment to sound, to form, to smell, to touch will diminish. If you can understand your own physical attachment, instinctive attachment to food and the strength of that attachment, if you can understand that, you can see that, you can become detached to that, then to the form, to sound, to smell, to touch, you will also start to reduce that attachment. That's how it works. So if you can, that's why the last for the five cause of sensual pleasure is fully understood. You can understand that, you will understand this. And when you can do that, you will be, it says here, no fetter bond by which a noble disciple might come back again to this world. You will be an anagami. If you can overcome 
the instinctive attachment to taste. Taste, because food is taste and it's very strong. If you can learn to overcome your instinctive grasping of that, attachment to that, then to other things, your, that attachment will start to diminish. You can build that distance between food and you, distance between form, you and form and sound and smell, no problem. Get it? That's all it is. How you are to look at the nutriment of food. It boils down to this nutriment of food is essentially the nutriment of attachment to sense pleasure. Now, your turn. <laughs> you want to spend time looking at the, the others? Maybe we do contact. 10 minutes, 15 minutes of discussion, you look at contact, the imagery. We have a discussion. I will explain what it is. Then we can go on to the next imagery. I think it's easier for you. Shall we? Okay. So, look at that cow. I will stop talking for a while. Come together Inevitable. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Contact is like that. Okay. You, you can't help it, but you just constantly get a barrage of contacts. Even as you stand, sit, swim, whatever, wherever, whatever, whenever, it's inevitable that you will experience contacts. Why the flay cow? Why that flay cow? Sensations, exactly. Flay so that you are even more sensitive. Superbly sensitive. They are practitioners. They are to be mindful of contacts. Point by point by point by point by point by point. And it would be numerous. We don't realize it. But if you become very mindful, very aware, you start to become conscious, attentive to each contact that you experience. And it is relentless. And when you become mindful of contact, 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 you will become aware of how relentless contact, the mind coming into touch with an external condition, in other words, that point of touch. Noting, noting, noting. Now, um, and you're helpless. This cow standing there, it's helpless to all these contacts. Right? In... Sorry. Anything else? Any other observation? The question now is, so what? 
Now that you're aware, so what? Learn to be detached. You see, this is where the next point comes in. Huh? It is in such a way that I say the nutriment contact should be seen. In what way? In the way of a flay cow constantly being hit by the barrage of contacts. Why like that? Are we supposed to be like that? The lesson here, therefore, is about yourself as you practice at the initial period, initial period, you have to see all the contact as no more than just nibbles. Nib touch, 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 touch. So, when you, you see, when we see things, we very often get caught up by the object. You see something, your eye in contact with an object, automatically the eye seizes this object and feelings arise. This is the conditionality angle. That is why the Buddha said, when contact is fully understood, your, the feelings are fully understood. Typically, when your eye, your ear, your organs come into contact with the form, the object, there will be an instinctive reaction. Feelings will, will spring up. I like it, I don't like it. I want it, I don't want it, I don't really care. You see it? There are only three. I like it, I don't like it, I don't really care. Or oh, I'm neutral. I'm indifferent. Or oh, I'm detached. It depends. Meaning, no strong feeling one way or the other. All contact will come with a feeling. And you have to see that. You need to be aware that there is a, an acknowledgement of the point and look at the feeling that springs up at it. The cow can't do a thing. It should be painful because they're nibbling at sensitive parts. It should be painful. But we don't feel painful. You see what I'm saying? For the rest of us, when there is contact, we're very happy having contacts. Con all this contact, we're very happy with it. We look for something, we look for sound, we look for taste, we look for things, we seek out contact. We see our objects to have contact so that we can rekindle feelings. We want to, we are drawn towards all the objects that give us pleasant feelings and we shy away, we are repulsed by objects that bring us unpleasant feelings. That's how a typical person will react to things, to the world outside of themselves. And the Buddha is saying that, no, all contact must be seen as not pleasant. So that you don't call after the contact, you see? If all contact you see as pleasant, because the instinct is to chase after the objects that bring you pleasure and to shy away from the objects that bring you displeasure, pain. So contact is something we want, we chase after. 
We don't realize that it's inevitable. By being alive, you will have contact. We don't realize that. We actually instinctively want selectively, selectively we want the types that we want, that bring us pleasure. Buddha is saying that, look, contacts, all this contact is keeping you going again and again and again and again. It keeps you going. As you seek, you will continue. There will be life. There will be becoming. So you have to learn to become indifferent, detached, to contact. Like the cow who's just standing there, detached. Nothing I can do about it. I'm not chasing after it. I just have to take it as they come. That's the way we should do it. Contact is not something to chase after. They keep us alive. They keep us going. They keep the mind wanting more and more. So the mind, knowing contact, understanding feeling, chase nothing. That's what it means. Don't mind? Okay. Next one. Shall we? Any question up to here? Any question? It gets harder and harder to understand. Contact is the easiest. Okay, food was the easiest, right? Everyone can feel but it must not attach to the food that we take. Contact, it's not that difficult to understand. Once you start, the, start to distill the meaning of this imagery, it's not difficult to understand. Yeah, actually it's true. We chase, we chase. Supposed to. Just accept that it happens. Stay somewhat detached. Don't chase after them. That's how you're supposed to do it. You can understand this. You can understand. You will understand feeling. When you understand feelings, you understand. It's feeling that drives you to chase, you see. Okay? Yes, feeling does arise, but you are not caught up with pleasure, you won't chase. It can be pleasant. It is just pleasant. If your mind takes this as pleasant and I want more pleasant, you will chase. If your mind starts to accept that this is just pleasant sound, not pleasant sound, but maintain a certain detachment like that cow, he's detached and he just is aware of contact, 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 contact. He doesn't chase. You, yes. Being detached comes with a feeling of neither pleasant nor painful. Yes. Okay. And it, no, look, in itself, in itself, it's calming. Neither pleasant nor painful. That neutral. If you understand neutral, then neutral is calming. And that in itself is joyous. You're putting on a lot of words. So what you're saying is just to be accepting of whatever is happening. Yeah. Pleasant, not pleasant. Yes. Yes. Like the cow. Yeah, like the cow. He can't do a thing about all the context. He just stand there. You know, Buddha used a cow. He could have used an elephant. He could have used any animal but a cow. Why that cow? 
cow is calm, is very calm. Have you seen a cow running? It takes a lot to get them to run. No, that's a bull. <laughs> that's, this is a cow. <laughs> the female version is not easily ruffled. <laughs> it is, it's, you see, not here, but it was mentioned somewhere, that if you understand, if your mind understands, if there is wisdom, then neutral is a, it's a joyous sensation. Because it's calm, it's quiet, you're not chasing, the mind is happy. Okay? And it's pleasant. But don't chase it. You chase it, it will dissipate. Okay, now, mental volition. Okay? Look at the imagery. This is really quite cute. Look at the imagery. 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and then we'll talk. Okay? Okay. Okay.
you're not giving. I'll explain it and then it becomes clearer. But this is a good observation. Okay, uh, any other observation? Yes. Okay. Okay. Thinking. Okay. Okay. You know, this particular uh, imagery actually causes you, the, the intent here is you need to understand craving. Mental volition here in Pali is Shankara. Okay? And if you know the Paticca Samupadda, are you familiar with it? It starts off with Avijja Pachaya Shankara. That's the one. Okay? Avijja Pachaya Shankara, Shankara, Shankara Pachaya Vinyana, right? It doesn't go there. Straight away, Shankara, it goes to craving. This is the connection here. So what's going on? Okay. So just bear this in mind first. I'll explain later. You have a situation where an individual is being dragged towards a very painful death. Right? This is the imagery given to you. Is being dragged towards a painful death. This dragging, the process of the dragging, is actually your own, in, in a daily life, day to day, point to point, you will find the volition, your own mental volition, chasing. It runs all over. And it usually runs towards something. When you plan, when you want, when you plan, you will plan for greatness, something good. You will plan for success. Nobody volition plan for failure. But here what you have, you see, our instinct, our mental volition, our planning has to do with wanting to do better, wanting to get somewhere, wanting to achieve something wanting something. Therefore, the connection with craving. Your mental volition is always wanting something. If you don't believe it, you just look at your own mind. Every time there is a mental construction, what is it? For good or for bad. It doesn't have to be bad. It doesn't have to be go beat up someone. It can be, I wish my child would do better. I hope, I hope for Everyone to be well and happy. That's a very nice one. Can you see that? But that's still a one thing. You're planning, you're thinking, and you're still thinking of, I hope everyone is happy. Seriously, I mean that. <laughs> but your mind is already planning, you want something. That's a volition. But for yourself, you truly desire happiness. 
you truly want to be to do well. And when you want to do well, when you are doing planning and planning, you sometimes get very happy doing it. But the Buddha is saying, don't. All this delighting in mental formations, all this delighting in Shankara is actually leading you to Dukkha. That's how you're supposed to see mental volition. All the mental volition that you get caught up in is about chasing something, wanting something. That's why the three cravings. I'll explain what is the three craving. Huh? It's not painful, pleasure, and neutral. That's not, that's feeling. Okay? You will have this, when there's a mental form, when there's a mental volition, when there's just Shankara, it's always Shankara for something. Okay? And as long as you are drawn towards Shankara, you will always be heading, you must see yourself as that's a bad thing. It will lead you to the charcoal pit. That's how you are supposed to see mental formation. And why that two fella dragging? Because you can't help yourself sometimes. You can't help yourself thinking lovely plans. You can't help yourself recollecting how lovely it is and then planning for repeat broadcasts. You can't help yourself. And to try and stop doing that is hard. It's hard. So for someone who doesn't want that charcoal pit, you've got to fight the habit to mental construct. That's what it means. What are these three craving? Kama tangha, bawa tangha, vibawa tangha. Those are your three cravings. Okay? So when you look at your own mental formation, what do you usually chase after? You chase after something pleasant to experience again. You plan how to get it. You chase after with the sound, sight, whatever. Kamatangha is just a sound, sight, taste, touch, and so on and so forth. And you will plan around how to get it, strategize how to get these things. That's one. Second one, bawatangha, how to have a better life. How to live better. Then you say, eh, vibawatangha? Sometimes you're in a not a good state. You also start planning how to get out of things. That's one thing. Or when it's really bad, you start to plan how to kill yourself. Okay? And then if you are in a state of... Do Even as a practitioner, you think about it, nah? you go on your retreat, it is very dukkha. One fine day, you realize everything is dukkha. Craving. Dukkha is because there is craving. How am I going to break craving? Dukkha. Then you, what? you start to think about, maybe I should just die. This is just dukkha. But it doesn't work like that. The mind loves to think. The life, the mind loves to construct. The mind will construct. As you're dying, I wonder whether I'll end up in heaven. The mind loves to construct. So the manner in which you look at the nutriment of mental volition is planning, planning. It's going to lead you to a pit. 
It's going to lead you to a charcoal pit. It's going to lead you to dukkha. So you need to learn a certain degree of detachment to the mind capacity to plan. Learn to be detached. Learn not to take it seriously. Learn to laugh at it. Learn to let it go. Don't plan too hard, in other words. Mental formation, your Shankara, is very instinctive. And what did the Buddha say? Avidya Pajaya Shankara, right? What is Avidya? Buddha said, not understanding the Four Noble Truths is Avidya. Actually, what it means is, if you were to subconsciously, uh, underpinning all your conscious moment, if underpinning all your conscious moment, you don't actually realize, don't see, don't realize, don't understand that craving will lead to dukkha, you have to learn how to let go. If that is not your standard SOP sticking in your mind, if this is not your perspective, then you have avijja. And therefore you will plan. But the moment you start to realize that Craving leads to dukkha, learning moderation is a good thing. The moment you realize that at one level, and then you start to say, I shall then try and practice so that this habit breaks. So that the habit breaks. And you then start to practice to break this habit. And then one day you realize that, oh, this is not just words, this truly affects the mind. It changes the way you look at the world. It changes your priorities, your instincts. It starts to change. When that happens, you are beginning to see avidya fading. When avidya starts to fade, because you're starting to understand, right? When avidya starts to fade, the habit to Shankara will start to drop. Because you then begin to say, it's okay lah. Plan also like that. It's okay. doesn't matter. That wisdom is what enables this planning, planning habit to simmer down. To simmer down. No, not the habit. We're talking about habit here. It's the habit start to simmer down. And if you start to understand this habit, well, you will start to understand craving. Stop planning because planning sits on craving, chasing after something. They are all intertwined. That is why this particular sutta is parked under Nidana. Nidana is Patiche Sampopadda. That's why it's parked here, to show you conditionality. Okay? Not easy, yeah? Persevere one last one. Any question first before we go into the last one? If you can seize, good question. If you can understand absolutely these food that keeps you alive, contact, mental volition, the planning, planning, thinking, thinking. If you can understand what drives them and you can learn to be detached absolutely towards them, the energy to bond again will start to diminish. 
Okay? And the last one is consciousness, the hardest. Consciousness, the hardest to understand. Good luck. 15 minutes. Just, just to make it really painful, 300 times. Why this imagery? Did you wonder? Because all the imageries that the Buddha pick, there's something about the imagery that must jump at you. The dead sun's flesh. The flay cow being nibbled at. The force, being forced towards a charcoal pit. And this one is obviously jabbing, jabbing a person to death. Why this imagery? So violent. Okay. Ah, go on. Okay, you're on the right track, okay? You see, for most of us, being alive is a great thing. That's what we want, to live, to be alive. The idea here is consciousness, which is awareness and alive. Are you really sure that it is that great a thing? So... Buddha reminds his monk they must not see being consciousness, being alive. Do not see it as something pleasant, something well, to be welcome, something to be enjoyed. But to see it as being alive, being conscious, actually every opportunity for dukkha. That is why the pain and the displeasure and so on. As long as there is this consciousness, there can be, not that there will, but there can be the experience of unpleasantness. Very, very unpleasant. And because we are not mindful by the moment, we don't actually feel the unpleasantness. Why? Because each moment, we will do our mental volition, the Shankara. We will chase after contact in order that we enjoy being alive. The whole thing is together. Consciousness, if you see it properly as it is, without all your capacity to disguise. Our mind is capable of disguising, you see. When it is chasing, you sustain yourself with hope. When you have that moment of got it, that moment of I 
got what I want, what I'm chasing, it generates so much pleasure, that alone keeps you going for the next chase. He's saying you strip all these disguises and just look at being alive as it is. Actually, it's just another possible moment of dukkha. And there will be many, many, many of these moments. That is why most of us, if we were to put aside our mobile devices, put aside all these opportunities to eat, to listen to music, to be distracting the mind, you give the mind no distraction and you tell the mind, just sit there. Just sit there. The odds are we will feel shaky. You will see the restlessness, you'll see the agitation, the, the, the mind says, what, uh, what, what, what am I supposed to do? Uh, 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 uh? <laughs> so the mind spins. Okay? Therefore, consciousness stripped to its bare minimum without all the disguises, all those little things that distracts, is not pleasant. These are monks. They don't have all your mobile devices. They are left to be conscious of consciousness. Therefore, dukkha. They will experience the dukkha. It's a reminder to the rest of us who don't have that to know, see it as it is. It is dukkha. Okay, that's part one. Part two of it, it says here, when the nutriment consciousness is fully understood, nama rupa is fully understood, right? In your Paticca Samupadda, I told you this is Paticca Samupadda, right? Avicca Pachyan, Shankara, Shankara Pachyan, Vinyana, Vinyana Pachyan, nama rupa. If you can really understand consciousness and what sits on it, what are you conscious of, in other words? Because there is this capacity to be aware, what are you aware of? Nama Rupa. Because the capacity to be aware, you are aware of self, form, you know, you know what you know, and this is form. This is mind. I see things, I hear things, and it goes on. So, knowing consciousness and being aware of the nature of the mind as it is has to be seen, has to be done. So, if you put all these four imageries together, it's a constant reminder that you need to maintain a certain detachment in the manner that you observe that particular mental state. Don't be drawn by it, don't be fooled by it, don't get attached to it, see it as it is. Detachment. Point one. Point two. They are not pleasant. Your instinct is to try and make each one pleasant or chase, do something to make it pleasant, but they're not. Every one of them they're not pleasant. You see it as it is, it's difficult to bear. Dukkha. Seeing it as it is, see contact, 
See contact as it is? Each contact, what do you do? You chase after something. It's actually a lot of dukkha going on, but we don't get it. Look at your thought formation. You're always trying to think nice thoughts, form nice things. You don't, if you run out of nice things to think about, you kill yourself. So these thought processes, learn to be aware, learn to see them with some detachment, learn not to be caught up by them, with them. They are just habits of the mind. And if you find yourself wanting to chase after another thought, remember the imagery. So the Buddha, you will not, you will not remember everything I said, but you will remember the imageries. What is the mental formation imageries? It's the guy who is going to be dragged to the chakku pit. Don't get caught up by your thoughts. Not easy because your craving is strong, but has to be done. Otherwise, another experience of dukkha. On and on and on. Same thing, consciousness. Consciousness is so mild, right? You are usually not conscious of consciousness. You are usually conscious of the object that has been presented to your consciousness. This one is just being aware of aware to that level. Knowing when you know. And knowing that when you know, the mind has a knowing state, it can understand things, it knows things, it, it goes. It will just off tangent, it, ch it chases. So in your practice, in your own, when you go on meditation, when you start to look at your mind, learn to see how the mind flies around chasing after things. First, you've got to watch that the mind chases. Loves that. And then, if you are able to slow down the processes, meaning you don't keep having thoughts, you're not caught up with your thoughts, you will start to observe that there's just contact. There's just seeing. There's just knowing. And in all this, there is a desire to be something. Even that is wrong. Wrong in the sense that it gives dukkha. I want to be this, I want to be that, I want to do better, I want to practice harder, I want to meditate better. You know, these little, little things, it pops up also. When you can see that these thoughts, they're just thoughts. It's just a lot of ambition and thoughts. If you can start to understand that, and you start to let your mind, if your mind starts to say, it's okay, I'm not chasing, you will immediately feel better. And that's part of the practice. Okay? Yes? Pali word vinyana is <sighs> consciousness. <laughs> it's being awake. I mean, that you know what's going on. That the mind is capable of registering information. 
you go, don't think too hard. Actually, Buddha doesn't go that. You know, we think that it's very, very cheap. Yes and no. Yes, in the sense that because we don't spend a lot of time looking at our mind, everything sounds so new, so, so mystical. But no, in the sense that the moment you are able to spot, spot, register, understand, the moment you're able to spot, register, and understand the little parts of what he said, for instance, contact is easy to understand, right? Mental formation is easy to understand. The moment you start to understand these words at a deeper level and you watch the mind as they form, then you should be able to begin to understand the connections, the links between what he's teaching. The main thing is don't think too hard. Unfortunately, unfortunately, we do tend to be a little intellectual, which is the problem. You have to actually silence the mind capacity to think and just observe. Even when the observation sounds simple, seeing, seriously, seeing is so complex, seeing. Even when it's that simple, you were just seeing. And don't think, huh? Seeing? Seeing. Why like that? Because as you see and see and see, at some point the mind settles down, becomes calm, becomes quiet. And all it does is observe, observe, observe. You have to get the mind to that state of quiet when it starts to observe without making details, constructing thoughts. It merely observes. Okay? That state of being able to observe quietly, that state allows that mind settle down and suddenly whatever wisdom, whatever information, knowledge that you have accumulated about the Dhamma, they will surface. In that observing, observing, or suddenly you will have a little nugget picked up from some Bhante's teaching, from some things that you have read. It floats out and says, this is Anicca, this is Anatta. Suddenly it pops up like that, in that quiet observing. And that's all you want. Because registering that is understanding Dhamma. All these collection of experiences in understanding the Dhamma in little, 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 little parts, all this eventually will add up and it sinks into your mind into a way of thinking. It starts to shape the way you see the world. It, re it reforms the way you, you instinctively react to the world. And the process can be a fast one, it can be a slow one, it all depends on yourself. How, how um, hardwired are you? You could be hardwired in such a way that it's going to take a long time before the mind says, okay, okay, I'm not supposed to do this, I'm supposed to do it like that. That can happen, okay?
Good question. You see, your, our mind instinctively will want the mind. This energy of wanting, it can either chase after something that you feel happy with, but at a, on a very, it's temporary. Gratification, in other words. The one thing is instinctive. It can chase after something which is just to gratify. And it's very, very short. It's very temporary. Or you can really direct this and have this one thing go for Dhamma. With an understanding eh, that Dhamma is all about trying to understand what the Buddha taught. He said that if I were to be able to understand the Dhamma, the sense of dukkha should diminish that one would reduce. You start from that basis. And he said, okay, this is my understanding, this is how I'm going, to I'm, I'm going to practice. Your one thing is still spinning, but now the one thing is focused on and a chase that will eventually lead you to stop chasing. So in that sense, this one which is a habit and an instinct, this one is going after something that will eventually lead you to a calm, to a stop, that will bring you peace. So at least it's a better chase. Otherwise, this chase, which is again, I repeat, instinctive, will then chase after things, uh, chase like a mouse chasing all over the place. Uh. And it will not end. It will chase until you die and start again. Next round. So that's why the, you know, it, it, actually the translation, some of the translation is really good. They talk about pacifying. That the energy, the chase, the one, the want energy, the craving energy gets pacified. It slows down, it reduces in, in, in momentum, it reduces in intensity. You actually feel better. Feeling better makes you want to continue. If you have never gone on a retreat, or if you have gone on a retreat but you have never actually had succeeded in stop thinking, start looking, don't think so much, don't talk so much, just observe. If you have never done that, right, and your mind has never actually slowed down properly, then it's very difficult to understand what it means by pacifying slowing down, calming down. It's very difficult to understand that. So you have to... You want to learn how to drive, you have to step into the car, turn on the engine, and start stepping on the accelerator. Otherwise, conceptually, you understand how to drive a car, but when you get into the driver's seat, you may still not. But you never learn. You see what I'm saying? Like it or not, it has to get, you have to get started. So, it's still the same, but it's redirected. The normal human person, being alive is good. A practitioner has to see that it is not good. Buddha in the Paticca Samupada will say, 
Why is there jara? Why is there maranang? Why is there old age and death? Why, why is there all this pain? Dukkha, Domanasa and so on and so forth. Because there's birth. Chati. Because you have birth, there will be death. Then how do you stop birth? The, the trick is not to stop death. Death will come. The trick is how do you stop birth? And it's not just birth. Birth, eh? it's not just, not just birth of the next life. It's also birth of the next moment. What do I mean by that? You think about it. If you chase, you will always chase. There will always be another birth. Chase, one. Dukkha, dukkha, chase. That you can stop one thing. If you can. If you, success, success, if you successfully do it, because of the practice, if that pacifies, if that ceases, there won't be another chase. No more birth. No more dukkha. You understand? If you can stop planning, wanting, chasing, looking, hunting, if you keep doing that, it's another birth. If it ceases, no more. At least for that period where you are not chasing, you feel better. You will feel more relief. More at peace. Okay? Too difficult? We should come in with an easier suitor. These uh, and uh, imageries? No, the whole idea is just to jam it into your mind, jam it into the practitioner's mind. You see, no one looking at this will, they either go, I don't know what he's talking about, not interested. Right? Or, yeah, so scary. Oh, I don't want to read. The odds are. La. But for the Buddha, his bhikkhus, he just have to have them understand it starkly. The stark images. It, it will be many more. If you go through the, the, Nikai, the, sorry, the, the suttas, there are many, many, many imageries. All very stark. Okay, so my hope for you is these four uh, imageries will stay with you. <laughs> Especially if you go on retreat. When you go on retreat, I hope they will surface in your mind when you're at a retreat so that you can develop a certain aversion. Actually, it is. Huh? It's meant to be. So that you will develop a certain aversion First, nibidda, you see, a certain aversion towards your, that particular type of mental state. Nibidda, viragga, you see, you develop a certain aversion, a certain ugh, contact, contact, contact. The cow cannot nibble, 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 nibble. So you freeze, you don't chase. 
after a while, you're not supposed to continue being so averse. You're supposed to, ah, this passion, not get too caught up. It's just like that. These are your two extremes, okay? This thing about middle path, by the way, Buddha in different parts of the suttas, they, he used this middle path for different, on different occasions differently. This is the middle path. We have lived for the longest time attached to, drawn by these mental states. Contacts, or your contact, or your mental formation, conscious moments, we are always chasing after something. You have been too far for too long, been so attached to all these mental states. That's why we are caught up with living. And for you to now then go to the other extreme, which is <gasps> freak out. Therefore, the imageries, you see, freak you out, get you disturbed by these. You go into the other extreme. Eventually, learn to see them detachedly and you come back to the middle path. Get it? Like that, lor? Yeah. At night. When only the most dedicated practitioner will come. <laughs> okay, good question. Uh, in the Buddha's time, when he taught non-believers for the first time, and he thinks they have a chance of getting to a point where they would take him on, uh, they, would, and they will become his disciple, it's called the graduated teaching. Dana, Sila, Sagga, Adinava, Nekama. That five. That is why to a community of newcomers, people who are looking for Dhamma for the first time, right? You're not supposed to stop at Dana because the Buddha went all the way from Dana to Nekama. Our style, unfortunately, is to stop at one, not to stop at five. That's where we go wrong. In one talk, he goes into five. But you go for a talk today, you're going to end up with one. Right? All about Dana, the merits of Dana, the great things about Dana, why Dana is good, Dana will take you to heaven, Dana will... It's all about Dana, and that's it, full stop. Next week, we talk about Sila. Then maybe we go, we go on to talk about heavens. Sagga is heaven. And then leave it to the practitioner to talk about Nikama and Adinava. Okay, what are these five? Dana, you know. Sila, you know. Sagga is heaven. Basically, how do you live life that will take you to heaven? Live life in such a way that will take you to heaven. Do good, do no evil. In other words, and then you get to enjoy heaven in this and the next life. Okay? That's sucker. The fourth one and the fifth one 
are simple things he can teach the lay people still, but simple but profound. Adinava, danger. Nikama, renunciation. The danger of overindulging and the benefits of moderation. So in one sitting, he will tell you, it's good to give. It makes you happy. Anyone listening to giving, giving with an open heart becomes joyous. Then he says, it's good to restrain your mind. Learn to watch your conduct. Do good, do no evil. This will take you to heaven. It will. People only want to go heaven, ma? Heaven in this life, heaven in the next. So up until this point, you're very happy with him. Then he said, ah, but you know, not good to overindulge. When you overindulge, you will have dukkha. So he starts to talk about Four Noble Truths, tailored for the layperson. You overindulge, because after talking about heaven is when you tell them don't overindulge, ma. right? Then he said, don't overdo it, learn moderation. Moderation enables you to have peace, tranquility, contentment is good. He covers Dhamma, full spectrum. In this, he doesn't talk about the mind. This is a layperson, not difficult. He doesn't talk about the mind, doesn't talk about consciousness, doesn't talk about Namarupa, doesn't even talk about contact. But what did he talk about? He had covered the first one, which is avidja. He goes all the way to craving, and he goes to the end, marana, jati, all, all those. He covers. He still covers, but without the complexity of understanding the mind. Okay.